Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. Uh, we do have a couple of anniversaries, as usual. On August 29th, 1526 is the anniversary of the Battle of Mohach, uh, the first of two battles of Mohach, in fact, uh, that signaled the Ottomans' invasion of Hungary and then their retreat from Hungary uh, over a century later, about a century and a half, actually, later. Uh, in this case, in 1526, the Ottomans were arriving. They were just reaching the peak of their power under Suleiman the Magnificent, who's generally regarded as the uh, finest of the Ottoman rulers. Uh, and this was their invasion of Hungary. It resulted in a partition partition of Hungary into Habsburg and Ottoman-dominated spheres. Uh, it paved the, the way for the Ottomans to continue on to their first siege of Vienna, which of course was unsuccessful, uh, but represents the sort of high watermark uh, of the Ottomans in Central Europe uh, from the period, uh, basically from that siege to the failed siege of Vienna uh, a century and a half later, which preceded uh, then the next battle of Mohach when the Ottomans were on their way out of Central Europe. Uh, so it's an interesting, it's a really interesting historical bookend uh, and a very important battle that uh, changed the course of Hungarian history, certainly, and, and really all of European history for quite some time. On August 29th, 1842, Britain and Qing China signed the Treaty of Nanking, uh, ending the 1839-1842 First Opium War. China was obliged to pay repar reparations to Britain, and Hong Kong became a British colony, which it remained until 1997. The treaty also ended China's Canton, Canton system, which had forced all foreign trade to run through the port of Guangzhou, or Canton, uh, and was the means by which the Chinese government controlled those foreign commercial interactions. Uh, it forced the Qing to accept unequal conditions on Chinese-British trade. On to the news in the Middle East. In Syria, continued fighting between the Kurdish-controlled Syrian Democratic Forces Militia and the formerly SDF-affiliated Deir Ezzor Military Council has claimed at least 13 lives, according to AFP. The Deir Ezzor Militia's commander, Ahmed al-Habil, uh, remains in SDF custody. The group hasn't offered an official justification for arresting Habil, but AFP, citing the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights and an activist, uh, an anonymous activist, I guess, suggested that his smuggling activities may have been part of the story or may be part of the story. Aside from the obvious issue this creates for the U.S., which now has two of its proxies feuding with each other, the violence could exacerbate Arab-Kurdish tensions in eastern Syria. Uh, elsewhere, Aleppo's international airport reopened for business on Tuesday. It would appear those Israeli airstrikes on Monday that closed it down did not damage the facility, uh, the facility's runway all that severely. Uh, in Iraq, a French soldier uh, deployed with Iraqi security forces was killed on Monday during a counterterrorism operation against an Islamic State position in Iraq's Saladin province. Four other French soldiers and two Iraqi soldiers were wounded in that operation when Islamic State fighters attacked their unit. Uh, in Egypt, there's a piece from uh, Mohamed Sabri at El Monitor looking at what Egypt is hoping to get out of its admission into the BRICS block. 
Uh, read you a couple of paragraphs. Cairo has pinned high hopes on its BRICS membership to attract new foreign investment to ease its ongoing economic crisis exacerbated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year. Egypt continues to struggle with a shortage of hard currency that has snowballed since the start of this year amid skyrocketing inflation, which hit 38.2% in July. The crisis has caused the Egyptian pound to lose nearly 50% of its value against the dollar since March 2022 in a series of steep devaluations. The dollar shortage also made it harder for the government to repay its debts, prompting it to seek assistance from the International Monetary Fund in the form of a $3 billion loan program. So clearly, they are looking for an economic boost out of this. Uh, And uh, I would say in contrast to Saudi Arabia, which is looking for more geopolitical influence, the Egyptians' main concern here has got to be economic. Uh, In Asia and Pakistan, the Islamabad High Court on Tuesday suspended former Prime Minister Imran Khan's three-year prison sentence and released him on bail. Khan is appealing his recent corruption conviction on the grounds that he was denied the chance to mount a proper defense and his lawyers had requested a suspension of the sentence pending a ruling on his appeal. Despite Tuesday's ruling, however, Khan remains in government custody because another court has ordered his arrest in a state secrets case. That case relates to a Pakistani diplomatic cable relaying comments from a senior U.S. State Department official seemingly encouraging the no-confidence vote that removed Khan from office last year. Khan cited that document as proof of his assertion that the vote was orchestrated by the U.S. government. In Myanmar, or really in all of Southeast Asia, there's a new report from the UN Human Rights Office alleging that hundreds of thousands of people across that region have been forcibly trafficked into what it calls scam centers and made to participate in various online scams, uh, crypto fraud, sketchy gambling outfits, etc. Well, of course, as you might expect, being very badly mistreated. According to the UN, this problem is especially widespread in Myanmar, where an estimated 120,000 people have been trafficked, and Cambodia where some 100,000 people have suffered likewise. Uh, Now, the Cambodian government questioned the accuracy of the UN's estimates. These appear to be private criminal enterprises rather than state operations targeting primarily at-risk migrants. It is not terribly surprising that those sorts of groups could thrive in the chaos wrought by Myanmar's civil war. In Thailand, two bombings in southern Thailand's uh, Patani province killed two people and wounded four others on Monday evening. The attacks were presumably connected to southern Thailand's longstanding Malay insurgency, which has been more or less dormant since early 2018, but does occasionally reemerge with this sort of relatively low-level violence. In Oceania and Palau, the U.S. and Palauan governments have reached a new agreement that allows the U.S. Coast Guard to enforce maritime law in Palauan waters without any Palauan officials present, interestingly. Uh, Palauan President Sarangel Whips Jr. hailed the deal in a press release from the Coast Guard on Tuesday, saying that it would help his government, quote, monitor our exclusive economic zone, protect against illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing, and deter uninvited vessels from conducting questionable questionable maneuvers within our waters, end quote. Earlier this year, Whips called for greater U.S. involvement in Palauan security issues after what he called the uninvited, that's a quote, entries of three Chinese vessels into Palauan waters. Uh, With many of the Pacific Islands nations up for grabs, really, is the U.S. and China jockey for regional influence. Palau, which is a compact of free association state that still recognizes Taiwan diplomatically, uh, is clearly in the U.S. camp. 
On to Africa and Sudan. AFP is reporting that shelling in Niala, the capital of Sudan's South Darfur state, killed at least 39 people on Tuesday. It's unclear from the reporting who was responsible for that shelling. Meanwhile, Sudanese military leader Abdel Fattah al-Burhan made his first trip abroad since the military rapid support forces conflict began in April, visiting with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah Sisi in the town of Al-Alamein before returning to Port Sudan later in the day. Uh, It's unclear what they discussed, and in reality, the trip itself was probably the point. Uh, Burhan had been bottled up in the army headquarters in Khartoum for more than four months uh, and probably just wanted to convince observers uh, that the RSF's position is weakening and he can, uh, you know, come and go as he pleases. In Mali, the Coordination of Azawad Movements, or CMA, a coalition of former rebel militias in northern Mali, claimed on Tuesday that the country's military has been bombarding its positions in Mali's Kidal region for the past two days. This is not the first time the CMA has accused the military of striking at its forces in recent months. Relations between the group and Mali's junta have deteriorated substantially, and the 2015 agreement that ended the northern Mali uprising is in danger of collapsing. Adding to the chaos in northern Mali, the UN's peacekeeping forces on a December 31st deadline to withdraw some 13,000 personnel from Mali and closed down its support operations. That is a huge undertaking in a relatively short period of time and is bound to create localized security vacuums. In Niger, the Algerian government jumped into the controversy over last month's military coup on Tuesday, proposing a six-month civilian-led transition back to democratic governance that would forestall a potential military intervention by the economic community of West African states. There's been nothing from Niger's junta, which recently proposed a three-year transition, to indicate that it would find this idea acceptable, though Algerian officials have apparently been in contact with Nigerian leaders, so they may know something the rest of us don't. Uh, From ECOWAS's perspective, I could see this meeting the bloc's approval. It's not a restoration of Niger's previous government, but the appetite for military intervention among ECOWAS members doesn't seem to be especially large, so they might welcome a respectable way out of the current impasse. Outside the region, I suspect the U.S. government, which hasn't even declared Niger's coup an official coup and is clearly hoping this whole thing will blow over, would be thrilled with a resolution like this. Uh, The French government would be less thrilled but might see the proposal as the best possible outcome at this point. In Ethiopia, according to the UN, fighting between Ethiopian security forces and Fano militia fighters in Ethiopia's Amhara region has killed at least 183 people since it began earlier this month. Ethiopian authorities have arrested some 1,000 people, mostly young Amhara men, under the state of emergency they imposed shortly after the fighting began. Heavy fighting has tapered off somewhat, with federal security forces controlling Amhara's major towns and cities, and the Fano having withdrawn into more remote parts of the region. That said, new violence in the town of Debre Tabor has killed at least four people since Sunday. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, another attack by Kodeko militia fighters, this time on a mining region in the eastern DRC Zaturi province, has left at least 14 people dead, with 10 wounded and others missing. I'm not entirely clear from the reporting when this incident took place, but presumably it was within the last couple of days. Kodeko fighters attacked a fishing village in Ituri over the weekend, killing at least nine civilians and one Congolese soldier. 
on to Europe and Russia and what is very much a developing story. In fact, developing so much that I had to come back and splice it into uh, a, a voiceover that I had already recorded. So apologies if this is a little choppy. Uh, but a, an apparently large Ukrainian drone operation has targeted at least six uh, Russian oblasts, provinces, uh, early Wednesday. Uh, now those include Bryansk, Kaluga, Oriol, Peskov, Ryazan, and Moscow. Uh, details are very sparse, and Russian authorities are insisting that their air defenses shot down most of the drones, but some drones apparently did hit uh, the airport in Peskov City, caught damaging aircraft and causing a major fire. I don't have anything else on this, uh, but it is... Uh, relatively resonant with uh, the story uh, that I'm about to get into uh, in Ukraine, which, uh, again, to be clear, uh, I actually recorded a few minutes ago and then had to come back and add this. So uh, again, sorry, this is a little bit choppy. Um, but there may be more on this, I guess, tomorrow as uh, if there are more details uh, that emerge. Uh, in Ukraine, according to The Economist, a Ukrainian drone strike on Friday that targeted a Russian base in Crimea may have been a sign of things to come. I'll read you the first couple of paragraphs here. Early in the morning of August 25th, a group of drone developers headed to a launch point in southern Ukraine for one of the most daring aerial missions over Russian-controlled territory to date, an attack on a military base deep in Crimea. It was described as a test launch, with many of the prototypes in the drone swarm experimental, but some of them did the job. There were explosions inside the base and several dead, with wounded soldiers seen streaming into the local hospital, according to local sources. That capped a miserable week for the Kremlin, already struggling to explain more than a dozen drones striking the heart of Moscow, repeated shutdowns of major airports, and unexplained explosions at arms factories, airfields, fuel depots, and railways. A source close to the developers of Morok, uh, one of the prototype drones used in the Ukraine in the Crimean operation, says Ukraine's new aerial strike capacity is the result of seeds sown many months ago. Morak's development had been a miraculous journey. After one risky test launch a few kilometers from the Russian border, its developers escaped incoming Russian rockets by minutes. Now they aim to step up serial production. Uh, Ukraine has been limited uh, by the U.S. in particular in using U.S. manufactured weapons on strikes in Russia. And of course, the Biden administration uh, has put strict limits so far. I don't know how strict they're going to continue to be, but strict limits so far on issuing long-range artillery weaponry or ammunition to the Ukrainians. So they are developing their own drone capabilities, and apparently they are looking to the kamikaze, so-called kamikaze-style drone, uh, and the drone swarm as a tactic uh, in, in order to overwhelm Russian air defenses. Elsewhere, Ukrainian officials said on Tuesday that their forces are continuing to advance beyond the village of Robotinia in Zaporizhia Oblast, their most recent seizure. There's been a lot of chatter about a potential Ukrainian breakthrough in this area, but there's been no evidence to support that chatter as yet. If a breakthrough does manifest, it will probably happen quickly and suddenly. Uh, Russian officials claim that their forces destroyed four Ukrainian boats carrying upwards of 50 people in the Black Sea. As far as I know, that hasn't been confirmed. And the Biden administration announced another $250 million tranche of military aid for Ukraine consisting of ammunition and other equipment. In the United Kingdom, uh, there's indications that the U.S. military may be preparing to bring its nuclear weapons back to the U.K. I'm sure the 
people in, in the UK are thrilled. Uh, according to the Federation of American Scientists, the Pentagon has gotten funding for building a new surety dormitory uh, at the Royal Air Force's uh, Lacken Heath or Laken Heath base in Suffolk. Uh, surety is U.S. military jargon uh, referring to the maintenance uh, and security of its nukes. Um, the U.S. withdrew its nukes from Lacken Heath and in, indeed from the U.K. as a whole back in 2008. Now, the FAS says there have been other infrastructure improvements at that facility that suggest nukes are coming back. And the U.S. Air Force's 459th Fighter Squadron, which you guessed it is based at Lackenheath, is about to start operating nuclear-capable F-35s. So there's a, a lot of smoke there. I don't know if there's any fire, but there certainly seems like there might be. Uh, and finally, in the United States, David Bromwich at Tom Dispatch considers what the war in Ukraine has done to feed the war machine. Uh, I'll read you a couple of paragraphs here. The United States has supported Ukraine with copious donations of weapons, troop trainers, and logistical and technical advisors left to work the interoperable targeting equipment we share with that country. Between 2014 and 2022, NATO drilled at least 10,000 Ukrainian troops per year in advanced methods of warfare. In the war itself, weapon supplies have steadily climbed from Stinger and Javelin missiles to Abrams tanks whose greenhouse gas environmental footprint is 0.6 miles per gallon of gas, or 300 gallons at every eight hours of use, to cluster bombs, and most recently the promise of F or F-16s. Excuse me. All this has put fresh wind in the sails of the weapons manufacturers of the American military industrial congressional complex. In May 2022, the CEO of Lockheed Martin thanked President Biden personally for his kindness. F-16s, after all, are big moneymakers. As for the additional fuel that ordinary Ukrainians require, it is now being sequestered underground by Ukrainian commodities traders at enormous environmental risk. Wars and their escalation, the mass destruction of human life that is almost invariably accompanied by destruction of the natural world, happen because preparations for war bring leaders ever closer to the brink, so close, in fact, that it feels natural to go on. That was certainly the case with Russia, Ukraine, and NATO, and the escalation that followed. Examples of such escalation are indeed the rule, not the exception, in time of war. Uh, on that note, thanks to all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter. And thanks especially to those of you who are foreign exchange subscribers and particularly paid foreign exchange subscribers. If you haven't made the jump to paid foreign exchange subscriber, please do. Uh, we, your support is vital to continuing this newsletter uh, and making it a success. Uh, and if you have made the jump, uh, I guess maybe tell a friend uh, that would be great uh you know it's not much else i can ask you to do if you're already paying for the newsletter but uh if you spread the word that always helps so uh maybe do that until next time as always take care and i'll talk to you soon bye bye